0: give uh, the rest of our time together to you. We receive uh, all that you've got for us in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been, uh, just before I come in the, uh, in the mornings. I've been practising the talk uh, just down in Tutibet Common. Uh, in the woods and uh, uh by the pond, uh, unfortunately, no, none of the swans or ducks received anything. They didn't come, come forward. I did have a dog, which I thought was Lassie. There was a dog that looked like Lassie. He came up towards me, or she came up towards me, and I thought, finally, someone's receiving the word. And um, it, it just—the you know, dog just jumped on me, and, uh, trying to kind of leak me or something. So, kicked uh, so I. It's a, it's a way. We've been looking. We've been looking the last few weeks, last couple of weeks, at um, this series on on Ephesians. On born, it's called born identity, and we're we're discovering who we are in Christ through the through the book of Ephesians. Um, And so, we the first week we did one word. Last week we did a verse. uh, This week we're going to do one more verse. And go from there. This could be quite a long series. (laughs) Um, I think the words are going to come up on the screen. uh, And it's really, really quick. So the first two verses uh, in Ephesians are fantastic. They're jam-packed, full of life. And it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so we're just going to keep that up, up there. Today's talk I've, uh, I've imagined in, in two parts, if you like. Sometimes when we're studying scripture or working through uh, different verses, it's on this journey in this series, we're on this journey together. Sometimes it's like we're hacking through the jungle. Uh, each, each branch, each verse, we're, we're, we're going through, we're, we're looking at it, we're pushing through uh, the verses. Other times, it's like we're sprinting through great chunks of the Bible. Other times, like today, uh, I'm going to attempt to do two things. Uh, it's, it's almost like we're taking a helicopter view of our journey together, looking at the big picture, taking a, a wide view, taking a bigger picture. And as I, as I was thinking about this morning, I, I don't know if you've seen those uh, stunt shows where the guy's on the, heli- at, 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 on the top of the helicopter, he's standing on the bar, and he's looking down, and he's looking at the X. Uh, it's like the inflatable X. He hasn't got a parachute, but he's sort of measuring up, and he jumps into that. This morning's going to be a bit like that. Uh, we're going to start in the helicopter, and judging by what's ahead, I'm that guy about to dive into... I'm going to dive bomb into that X. I don't know whether we've got a parachute or not, but uh, we'll see, we'll see. Um, so as we go through uh, Ephesians, these words were coming from Paul, they were written by Paul, and they come from the depths of his heart, but they are coming under the influence of the Holy Spirit. The scriptures of God breathed. And therefore, the scriptures have this creative power within them. Power to give us life. Uh, For some of us, we know the story. We know know our story. If you go back to the creation story, we know that God speaks and his words produce life. We worship a God who creates through divine speech. And we read in, in, in Genesis 1, God said, let there be light. And suddenly there was light. He said... Let's create waters uh, and dry land. And suddenly dry land appears, water appears. And then as you read in Genesis, we have this, almost this Trinitarian moment when God says, let us create mankind in our own image and in our own likeness. Let us. And so Adam and Eve appear. When God speaks, he acts. And when he acts, life appears, it emerges, so these words, these words have got power. There's creative power in them, just in the text. Power to bring life. So as we digest the scriptures, as we read them, as we pray them, as we study them, as we, as the Bible talks about meditating on it, as we memorise them, as we sing them, we sung some scriptures today in, in our worship. I've uh, been hearing stories about people texting one another, Oh, I had this verse. I was just thinking about you. This is, this is a verse for you. I, I just want to encourage you with this verse. Uh, and as our community, as we immerse ourselves in it, I want to say this. As we immerse ourselves in the scriptures, life is inevitable. Because when God speaks, life happens. Life happens when we hear the word of God. And as we read them and engage with them, we feel its impact on our lives. Fruit is inevitable, as you, as you read this. Here's the nub: though, if you're willing to di- digest it. Uh, so, so the first thing, as we engage with the Scriptures, it's got power, creative power, to bring life. Secondly, we're just incredibly privileged to have, uh, to have these words. Secondly, So we, we're historically privileged, and we're globally privileged, to have, have the Scriptures here. Historically, it's only been the last 500, 600 years or so that we've had this text readily available for us uh, before, the, this, before the arrival of the printing press. People were desperate to access the Bible. They would travel long distances just to get hold of it and read it and digest the works. First century, second century, right through to the 12th, 13th century. None of this was available. Uh, they're so easily available to us, aren't they? Uh, I've got three apps on my phone that, with Bibles and study. I've got, I don't know how many Bibles I've got at my house. I don't know how many Bibles you've got access to. So we're historically privileged, but also we're globally privileged. Right now, in different parts of the world, there are people whose life are going to be literally taken from them because they have this. they've got this in their position, that under certain regimes uh, where you cannot have a Bible, you'll be, at any time, if any evidence is found on you, you'll be a dead man or woman. Literally. Literally, straight away. I had a story uh, of a church in one uh, one particular part of the the world where this was the case. They would be killed on the spot if anyone had a Bible. Uh, And so this group of Christians got got given one New Testament between them. I don't know how many of them are but just imagine, like 100, 120 people. Uh, and so between them, the, the, the community, what they did is they ripped a page out of every, page out of the Bible, and then gave that page to every member. And what every person did is they went home, and they memorised those two pages, front and back. They immersed themselves, it brought life to them, And then they came back the next week and they swapped pages. What what part of scripture are we going to get this week? They literally swapped pages. And it's not like today where we would take take a piece of paper, we would fold it up, put it in our back pocket. This was sacred. This was special. Uh, And some of the stories that are coming out of the persecuted church are incredible. Very rarely would you read their prayer letters where they would say, where they would ask to stop the persecution. You wouldn't really get that. Uh, But but you'd expect it. I would expect it. Stop them from killing us. That's the prayer. Please, God, please would you pray that they stop killing us. What you do read is that they want more courage, (laughs) they want more boldness to stand firm in the faith. Sometimes they ask for protection. But time and time again, what you do find in their, in their prayer letters is, I just want to get hold of one of these. Can you send us some, Can you send a Bible? Anything, any portion of Scripture. We'll travel. We'll, we don't care how far away we get this Bible. We don't care the cost. We just, we want this. We want this precious, uh, precious word. And so as we continue our series that we started a couple of weeks ago, I hope we begin to understand our, our, our born identity, our God-given identity, but also that we would become so impacted by the Scriptures. I, I, I'm talking for myself. I would be so impacted by the Scripture, and I'd have that same desire as the persecuted church, as people around the world. It's such a privilege. Um, so if you don't have a Bible... We've got plenty at the back. Uh, Help yourself. Take two. Give give one away. Just uh, help yourself. If you don't own a Bible, take take one with with our compliments. Uh, And then text people. Email them. Think about them. Pray for them. Send them some scriptures. Uh, So as we... I don't know where we are on the helicopter at the moment. I don't know if I'm still standing or I'm dying bombing. Um, But let me just go back to Ephesus. Ephesus, it was this massive trading city in Asia Minor, Uh, modern-day Turkey. Uh, Viv and I have been planning our holidays. We're we're thinking about going to Turkey, and I imagine when I get my hair cut though, the barber will say, so where are you going on holiday? I might say, I'm going to Asia Minor, (laughs) just to kind of see what happens. The awesomes and the awkward. That will definitely be awkward. So after Rome, the city of Ephesus was the second most powerful city in the known empire. Uh, And what the Romans wanted to do is they wanted Ephesus to be a taste of Rome. They wanted it to look like Rome. Uh, You had to speak in Latin, dress like the Romans. You had to submit to the lordship of of Caesar. Uh, We need to know all this because what Paul at various times through the book of Ephesians is saying He's hitting against the culture of that day. He's almost coming against what the culture was saying to, to, the, pe- to the church of Ephesus. He's hitting against a worldview that didn't look like heaven. And s- what scripture does is it challenges our worldviews. So we must come humbly. Uh, it's going to offend us. It's going to pee us off. Scripture's going to really offend us at times if we read it correctly, because inside this text, uh, we're gonna be confronted with a worldview that is very different from our worldview in the city. It's called the worldview of the kingdom of God. It's very different to to 21st century London. We're shaped, aren't we, by an influence, powerfully influenced by London culture. Uh, Different worldviews, secularism, secular humanism, Consumerism, Western mindset, the various trends we see in society at the moment about sex, gender, morality, uh, marriage. The list goes on and on and on. How we look at life, how we look at our life is uh, influenced through these different lenses. But as we read, as we read the scripture, we're confronted. And it becomes offensive sometimes. Surely culture's moved on. Surely, culture's moved on. Some of the text here, some of the scriptures are very really archaic. That was meant for 2,000 years ago. Surely, it's not meant for modern-day Western society. Uh, and it's the same with our identity. We must bend towards how God feels about us. What God says about us, rather than what the worldview says about us. Rather than what our friends say, our family members say, um, what our Instagram love hearts say about us. And what Paul is doing is he's hitting against this culture. He's hitting against the worldview that doesn't look like heaven. He's saying that if the church is truly to live out its mandate and its calling, it should look like a colony of heaven. Um, not colony of Rome. Not colony of London. We should be speaking the language of heaven, which is love. Uh, we're to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ, not the lordship of Caesar. That's what he's saying. Uh, we, sh- we, we live the extension and the advancement of the kingdom of God. Not Rome, not London. So number one, Paul's hitting against a cultural day, a cultural city. Let's just go back a bit. So Paul's in this tiny, dingy room in a prison. Uh, he's the guy who looks on the surface, like he's failed in life. He's a prisoner. And what he's doing, he's writing to a community that also feels like everything is against them. Uh, They kind of feel like nothing they try in life ever works out. That somehow they've almost been cursed. No matter what they do, they're always going to hit this ceiling, this glass ceiling, that can never be crashed through. And they've come to call that ceiling the powers that be Uh, The atmosphere around them, the culture around them, the powers at work. We can't get through this because this is our dominating culture. And Paul is teaching them how to live in Christ. And how living in Christ begins to transform that view. And what he does here is he opens up this scripture with this fresh release of grace and peace. And he proclaims in these opening lines a message that hits against the culture that they faced um, it hits against their identity of, of what they feel, what they think of themselves. And he says this to them: "Grace and peace uh, to you. Turn to your neighbour. We're going to go all Anglican now. <laughs> Turn to your neighbour and uh, and say grace and peace to you. Grace and peace, grace and peace. in Anglican churches all across the country. Grace and peace. They'll say." They'll say to one another, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. 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 Grace, to sum up grace, it simply means God's unmerited favour. And we sing songs, amazing grace, how sweet they sound. That saved the rich like me. That's what Paul does in proclaiming grace and peace. He's not saying that you don't have any. He say, he's not saying you don't have any grace, don't have any peace. He's saying there's some more. There's a whole lot more. We need great grace, don't we? We need great peace. Just think about your own life. Where do you need grace at the moment? If I was in a group setting, I'd get you to shout out. Where do you need more grace? Where do you need more peace? Uh, let me just say this about what grace is It's not about getting us through a crisis. Uh, but grace is about letting God introduce us to the fullness of the future he has for us. Grace isn't just about overcoming your past. It's about entering into your destiny. Securing your destiny. Uh, Before the love of God came crashing into my life, I was probably as far away from God as you can imagine. I had no relationship with God growing up. Uh, My my life was literally about making enough money as I could to feed my drug habits. I remember walking, I was walking through the woods today, I was thinking about this. I remember walking through the woods when I was about 15, 16 after i have been arrested again. Um, and I began to cry out to God. I said, my life's an utter mess. Um, my trajectory looks like this. And I didn't really think about God. I, hadn't had, I didn't have this framework of Jesus. I thought he was some mythical person, fairy tale stories. I remember there was some stuff about fishes and loaves and him walking on the water. Didn't really know about the cross, I thought it was just what people wore around the necks. But over as I began to say, God help me, and need just to change my life, um, I began going to this youth group, going you know, to church, and hearing about this man Jesus, who could forgive me. Hearing about the grace that he could give me. I could start again. My past didn't need to equal my future. And I remember the day when I made the decision to follow Jesus. It was in Sutton assembly rooms, listening to a heartbeat concert. <laughs> which none of you to do that. It. <laughs> um, it's a great story. I, I mean, it's a great story. But if if that's where my story ended, that would be a tragedy. If suddenly I started following Jesus, then <coughs> I was up in heaven. What a tragedy! Grace isn't just about getting you a good story. It will be listening to what grace can do in our lives, what salvation can do in our lives. Grace uh, is about bringing you alive into the future that God has for you and me. Grace justifies us before a holy God. Grace provides us access to God to communicate and fellowship with Him. Grace, what it does is it wins us new relationships and intimacy with Him. Uh, Grace helps us in every need. Grace preserves us, comforts us, encourages us, strengthens us. Paul, by writing grace and peace to you, what he's saying is, I want you, I want you, the church, to have all that is possible, all that you can have, all that's predestined for you. From the moment you said, I want to be born again, not to get you to be born again. What Paul's saying is, I want you to experience the invasion of heaven, the very invasion of God's good future for you. That's what he's saying. Uh, So, the rest of the time, I want us to think about how we're marked by grace and peace. God longs to multiply grace and peace into your life. So, number one, we're no longer prisoners of the past, or we're stuck in our present, or confused about our future. Uh, Number two, um, I don't have time this morning to unpack peace but it's this shalom it's this shalom like, it's, it's the Hebrew word shalom for peace um, it's the thing that our inner being if we're on this long score all of us, we long for peace in our inner being uh, peace is simply nothing broken, nothing missing if, if Paul just said grace which is so powerful, so dynamic in our lives, that would be fine. If you just said peace in our lives, the shalom, the rest, uh, the rest in God, that would be fine. But what, do, what, what Paul does is he brings grace and peace together. Nothing broken, nothing missing. But then he adds something else. He says not only can we have grace and peace, but it comes from God the Father. I hope you can see why we're having to take our time, because I can imagine Paul sitting in his, uh, sitting writing on his desk, or on the floor, and I, I imagine him with a smile on his face, he's got this twinkle in his eye, as he, as he pummels his readers with truth, there's a left hook, takes some grace, there's a punch, takes some peace, and do you know where it comes from? It comes from the Father. You see, from Paul's background knowing God the Father was hang on that's that's not true Paul was steeped in Old Testament tradition uh, knowing the God of hellfire and brimstone knowing the God of judgment knowing the God who's feared. <coughs> and then as, he's, as Paul is uh, in God's presence with Jesus knowing how truly he's forgiven he's experiencing this grace and this peace that he's never known before And what he begins to realise, I want to propose, is that God is not distant, and that God's ultimate self-disclosure is that he's a father. See, the God of the Old Testament revealed himself bit by bit to his people. The God of the New Testament, the ultimate self-disclosure to us is that he's a father. And the songs we sing here, um, they're kind of theology. We try to sing theology... As we worship God. And we often sing songs about God's goodness, that He's a good Father. You just sang, King of my heart. You are good, you are good, you are good. Do you know He is a good Father? He's pleased with you. He's happy to see you. And He favours you and your life. Did you know that? say this, his delight is in you. One of the things that religion tells us, uh, and Paul experienced this as a religious man, one of the things that religion does is it hides the face of the Father. It challenges this notion of goodness. Is God really good? Is he really a good Father? That's what religion does. When Father God picks you up, he says you're really treasured, you're my treasure. And here Paul realises, and I realise that, I've got a father. I've got a father in heaven. And Paul, he proclaims to the church in Ephesus, grace and peace to you from the Father. And God today is celebrating you. Do you know that? He's actually celebrating you. He's not tolerating you, he's celebrating you. Uh, my hunch is that God's deepest joy and th- what makes God happy is, is seeing you enjoying your life in Christ. Uh, in other words, God's happy when you're happy in Christ. When you begin to discover who you are and who God really is, that makes you happy and it makes God happy. Uh, and this is a dream when you begin to know that God is your father and that the number one wish over your life is uh, that he has is that, would you know that you're deeply treasured? Um, Paul's hitting against our worldview. And we're hitting against some of our worldview about God being a good father. When you get hold of actually God delights in you, God is for you, He wants the best for you. Do you know He's working out a good plan for you? He wants the best for you. He's not trying to trip you up. He's not, like, as you're walking down, He's going to stick His foot out. He's not like that. Some of us have got a view about us of God. Instead of Him being a good father, He's mostly mad, bad, or sad. Uh, and the way some of us some of our theology some of our teaching has been that the way God looks at us is through the lens of Jesus so god 's this mad bad and sad man in heaven but Jesus has made it so that when God looks at us through the lens of Jesus he 's kind of placated so if you imagine you're here and I'm, i you know i 'm here i 'm God and i 'm I'm in a bad mood. I'm grumpy. Who are these people? And there's this cardboard cutout, Jesus. Oh, that's so much better. That's so much better. I can see these people because Jesus is there. But then you're there and suddenly your butt sticks out. (laughs) And God's like, who is that? (laughs) Who are those people? Gabriel? call the pest control <laughs> some of us have got that view that the way God looks at us is through the lens of Jesus but if it wasn't for Jesus God would look at us as like he's grumpy uh, I want to say this don't believe that no 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 don't believe what your lens tells you to don't believe what your, your world tells us to he's not enraged get that out of your head Just say, yes, I will. Yes, get that out of your head. He's not mad, bad, or sad. He's good, he's really, really good. Um, Just as I finish, Lord Radstock was staying in a hotel in Norway in the mid-19th century. He heard a little child playing the piano downstairs in the hallway. She was making a terrible noise, plink, plonk, plink, plonk. And uh, it was driving this Lord mad. But then a man came down and sat beside her and began began playing, filling the gaps. The result was the most beautiful music. He later discovered that the man playing alongside the girl was the girl's father, and it was Alexander Borodin. He was the composer of the opera uh, Prince Pindor. God calls you into a relationship that involves cooperation with him. You may feel your life is plink plonk plink. (laughs) Your life is not, not much. Uh, the Christian faith is primarily, primarily about what God has done for you by, in Christ. However, we're not spectators. We're called to respond. Uh, God involves you in his plan, in his thinking. What God does he comes alongside and sits with you. Romans eight twenty eight. In all things, God works for the good. And he takes our plink, plunk, plink. It's technical, technical language there for you musicians. And he makes something beautiful out of it. You may think that God is finished with you. He's not. He's a creator God and he spits life into you to, to make you good and beautiful. What do you say?